Welcome back to Humans of Purpose, where we bring you weekly conversations with purpose-driven leaders. Our focus is to share meaningful conversations with purpose-driven people having a big social impact in our community. Our mission is to enable you to listen, connect, and grow. You can learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au. Working in this role, there's a a spectrum of people um, within philanthropy. There's probably five different types of philanthropists, and and it is a, it is on a spectrum, and 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 people can move um, uh, along the spectrum. And I'll probably preface it by saying, in my mind, there's no right or wrong way to participate in philanthropy. If someone's happy um, being um, ad hoc or unstructured with their with their giving, well then, and if that's what makes them feel great, well then then that's fantastic. Welcome back to the pod, and it is great to have you with us as always. Well, those are the wise and profound words of Will Beresford, who is my friend and also Relationship Manager of Philanthropy at Equity Trustees. Today's episode is proudly sponsored by Assemble. Assemble believe that owning a home should be more than just a dream. That's why they created a new housing model offering renters an alternative pathway to home ownership. Sign up to a five-year lease, then at the end of the lease, you'll have the option, not the obligation, to buy your home. Your rent and purchase price are fixed and agreed up front, so you know today what you'll be paying tomorrow. That's welcome to certainty. Head to assemblecommunities.com to learn more, and I'll pop a link in our show notes. It was great fun connecting with Will to record this conversation. He's got some amazing insights as a person who sits at that real intersection between philanthropy, giving, um, trusts, business, uh, not-for-profits, and uh, social change. Will's had a fascinating journey into the space, and he also gives some really good insights from the inner sanctum as to what uh, philanthropists look for in how they invest in social change and what not-for-profits can do to really make the most of social change opportunities, as well as uh, many things around uh, individuals um, and the typologies that exist out there in terms of how people are keen to invest in change. So do enjoy the pod. I won't ruin it with further uh, summarising and uh, make the most of it. As always, I want to send a special thank you and shout out to our, our Patreon supporters, Misha D and wife, Joel F, Stuart M and McCartan. Your ongoing support uh, each month has been tremendous for Humans of Purpose and helps us grow and perform each and every week. If you're enjoying their podcast each and every week and getting good value out of it, well, I encourage you to support the podcast and become a Patreon supporter joining our growing community. Just head to patreon.com slash humans of purpose to learn more or click the link in our show notes. Well, thanks so much for coming, mate. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Wonderful to have you on your first uh, inaugural trip to Elstonwick. That's right. It's, uh, from what I've seen so far, a lovely suburb. <laughs> well, I was excited to do this for a number of reasons. Um, as I said to you before we got started, in the first uh, year or two of running the pod, it's only been two and a half years, you were probably one of a handful of people that reached out authentically to mm. talk to me about the podcast mm. without wanting to come on per se. Mm. I did have to arm wrestle you on the pod, <laughs> but I am fascinated to learn from you about so many things, philanthropy, your journey, yeah. um, why you're such a great guy, which you'll, I'm sure you'll cover in detail. Um, the fictional Mike Davis that haunts the equity trustees <laughs> office will be another yeah, part of the team. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Part of the team. Grant knows me well. Yep. All good. <laughs> um, take me into your journey, uh, from as far back as you like to go and talk to me about how you end up here today. Yeah. So let's, um, let's go right back to the beginning, I suppose, where, um, I was raised in a fairly, um, purposeful household where, uh, my, uh, mum was a 
was the director of a large organization in Perth called Active Foundation, which at a time and perhaps even still now uh, was the largest disability services organization in in WA. And my dad um, is an author and a professor um, and was writing books uh, in my early years on Aboriginal deaths in custody and globalization and various environmental issues and recently just released one on Adani. And so um, I grew up in a very kind of um, where we we didn't at dinner time sit around and, and discuss you know neighbours or home and away or anything like that. We were talking about um, current issues. So I kind of knew that I would always have a career in something purposeful of some description. Um, I left school uh, after year twelve and became a, a carer for people with advanced MS, and that was a, a really kind of eye-opening experience um, from the perspective of um, you know making a meaningful difference in in one person's day. Um, then I, I carried on with the with the disability theme and. Um, went to work for an organization called Edge Employment Solutions in, in WA, finding um, jobs for people with disabilities in in mainstream employment. Um, and that was probably the first time I'd been, I'd been surrounded by people with my worldview, um, or I was their worldview, either, either way you look at it. Um, and that was probably the first time that I'd been um, kind of on a mission, waving a flag of some description, <clears throat> and... Um, and face people that had a different worldview to me, um, which again started to kind of um, lead me in the direction that I'm heading in heading in today. Then, after as most people in WA do, get sort of brought into oil and gas for a little while, um, oil and gas and mining. Is that just a natural consequence of sort of being around it's, those industries? It's just you know you're you're in WA. Yeah. It's a it's a it's a significant employer, um, or it was at the time, and so. Um, whilst that wasn't um, purposeful in the sense that we're talking about it today, it provided me with a lot of different opportunities in terms of flying around the world and uh, bringing together large oil and gas deals and all that kind of stuff, which I gained a lot of experience out out of. But I had this moment um, in sort of 2014 or so where I was being chauffeured to a to a meeting in in Singapore, and we went past a, a large oil and gas processing facility and I kind of looked up at it and sort of thought you know this doesn't doesn't connect with me as as I want as I want it to for my career and so I kind of was was thankful for the experiences and thankful for the people that I met and but ultimately I I wanted to find something that was um, uh, sort of I suppose purposeful again in the context that we're talking about it today Um, so I started working for a large children's um, organization at large children's charity in WA. And that's where I found out how incredibly difficult it is to raise funds for an organization. And that's a true understatement. Um, even with lar- even when you're working for an organization with really large brand presence, it still is really difficult to raise funds for an organization. And that's what started me on the thread of, is there other ways to encourage funds for 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 purpose organisations? Um, I started reading more about impact investing and you know innovative ways to look at capital to fund um, organisations and um, all of the things that you talk talk about on this podcast. Um, that's what I started reading about. And then my wife, um, 
got the opportunity to move to Melbourne through her career and that gave me the opportunity to start working in this space. And so I started with equity trustees about two years ago um, and I work in the active philan- what we call the active philanthropy space, which is um, people that have structured their giving during their life. You're making all the other philanthropists sound downright lazy. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, um, there, uh, there's a dis- distinction, I suppose, between uh, when we talk about uh, trusts that equity trustees, we talk about um, trusts that were created within someone's will and trusts that were created during someone's life. And, and that's the, the, the group and the cohort that I work with um, in my role. So that's kind of how I arrived um, uh, to my role, which is yeah, essentially being brought up with um, uh, purpose as, as a real discussion topic at a table and then kind of figuring out how to be part of a greater impact i suppose it's fascinating so you grow up with um a strong sense of purpose and a strong intellectual drive at home and it sounds like still to this day is your dad still writing he is that's amazing yeah 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 yeah. Yeah, so incredible so you've got that intellect you've got your mum's working in the sector Mm. um you've got robust conversations i'm Mm. sure at the table about social project uh social progress and a range of things and then it's like you wander out of that circle and you challenge yourself, which I find really interesting as a starting point. Mm. What's that like to sort of move into oil and gas and sort of have where a lot of your assumptions kind of challenged and your your kind of worldview um, sort of was it more malleable or what's that feel like? Uh, to be to be honest, it was purely a financial decision. Um, we're we're brought up with um, perhaps encouraged to think that you know. You, you need the right job and you need the right house with the white picket fence and the, you know, two cars and the garage and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I got along the way to, um, got along the way of achieving all of that kind of stuff. Um, and ultimately realized that I was lacking purpose in, in, and drive in what I was doing. So were you, um, feeling like, like were you feeling like you should have been feeling great, but inside you just weren't feeling aligned? I mean, I wasn't feeling horrible. Like I, 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 I don't mean to make the time sound um, sound horrible. It, it was actually wonderful from the from the experiences that I got and the people that I met and met and the and the people that I still keep in contact with today. Um, so I made some lifelong friends out of it. But ultimately, um, it was I was there for financial reasons mm. and um, and those reasons wore thin after a while. And what was that pivotal moment like when you drove past that um, it, when you were in Singapore on that drive? I mean, it, it my my almost my career view changed in that single drive where um, I was starting to get driven to a meeting, thinking, you know, well done, Will, you've made it. You know, you're now the type of guy that gets driven to meetings. Yep. To the end of the car trip, where I was like, I've got to change what I'm doing. Like, <laughs> this doesn't connect with me at all. That must have been so confusing. <laughs> um. So, yeah. It, but again, I reflect back on it fondly. And well, it, that's, and a, that's and a moment of clarity. I mean, I, I feel mm. like those moments, are, they can seem perplexing at the time, but, you know, mm. you look back and you're like, that's a significant turning mm. point for me and mm. where I go afterwards. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So well, there's so many places we can go with this and I'm mm. excited to go everywhere. Yeah. But first, let's maybe talk about philanthropy and the nature of philanthropy because I think yeah. demystifying philanthropy is a good kind of topic or a sure. good jumping off point. Mm. You made some good distinctions before but between active and maybe um, ad hoc giving. Yep. So let, let's go back to basics what is the what is the point of philanthropy and what's its kind of role in your eyes today mm. well 
That depends on who you ask. But in my eyes, um, philanthropy is the responsibility, I think, of um, anyone that's participating in the community. I think um, I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the notion of giving back in, 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 in inverted commas because that implies that you take. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think if you are participating in a community in a community and you're utilizing services and uh, or, or you think you might be utilizing services then it's sort of a responsibility to um, participate financially in that um, and so that comes at various levels that comes at you know um, a, a giving a gold coin um, to uh, structuring your philanthropy and that's obviously the area that I work in at equity trustees so Ad hoc giving um, might be described as, um, you know, you get sent an appeal in the mail by a charity and you choose or not choose to, to make a donation to them. Structuring, structuring your philanthropy is more around um, putting your funds into um, a trust structure, which might be a PAF or you've heard it in, I'm sure people have heard in inverted commas, their own foundation. Yep. Um, and effectively, you collect the tax deduction as you put the funds in. And then throughout the year and, and subsequent years moving on, you make decisions about who and what you support um, going forward. And that's the segment that the group of people that I work with. Mm. So the people that have, have put their funds into a structure um, and we um, I assist them in, in making those, those um, charitable decisions going forward. So what might motivate somebody to um, have a structured giving or um, be unstructured? Because a lot of people, you know, who you talk to about, where are they giving or what are mm. they doing with their money? They seem quite reactive. So if something comes in the mail, oh, I really should give to that. And mm. then, you know, there's a, there's a sausage sizzle on the weekend. There's, um, you know, my, 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 uh, my wife's netball club. I mean, it's sort of – it can be all over the shop. That's right. Um, so just I suppose just because you've got a structure doesn't necessarily mean that you're being strategic with how you're giving your funds. It just means that you – um, legally, you've got a vehicle. You legally, you've got a vehicle, and you legally have to make a, a donation each and every year. Um, so, uh, yeah, again, that's that's the, the the cohort that I work with, and I think there are different. Um, I, I've noticed over the last couple of years working in this role, there's a, a spectrum of people um, within philanthropy. There's probably five different types of philanthropists, and and it is a, it is on a spectrum. Sure. And 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 people can move um, uh, along the spectrum. And I'll probably preface it by saying, in my mind, there's no right or wrong way to participate in philanthropy. If someone's happy um, being um, ad hoc or unstructured with their with their giving, well then, and if that's what makes them feel great, well then then that's fantastic. So you might say that um, it's better for somebody to participate in philanthropy in a kind of uh, dishevelled way than not at all. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So I've noticed that, that the, the first type of person um, might give because they um, have uh, a, a tax issue. They're, they're brought to philanthropy by a tax issue and they effectively set up their vehicle and then forget about it, I suppose. Life's busy, they're raising a family, they're running a business, they're selling a business, whatever they're doing. It's the last thing they want to worry about, so it's a bit set and forget. It's right. a bit set and forget. Yep. The second type is... Um, where um, they are a little bit scattergun, so they've they've um, they're aware of some organisations, and they just kind of spray um, their grants around and kind of hope that it, hope that it works. But there's not real much rhyme, not a sort of rhyme or reason behind mm. what they're doing. The third is um, where someone 
finds a few, a small handful of organizations, and then they kind of stick to them year on year without really evaluating um, whether or not, without evaluating themselves or what they're trying to achieve or evaluating the organizations as to whether or not they are. Um, so is that like an ideological kind of giver? <clears throat> it's more like, I suppose it's, it's, they are, they are, they're not, um, scattergunning their, their, their donations. So in a, in a lot of ways, it's fantastic from a community, um, uh, outcomes perspective yep. because they keep supporting Consistent. the same, the same organizations again and again. Yep. Um, and as long as those organizations are doing great things, then they, 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 yep. they keep, um, as opposed to government funding, which is, can, can be very sporadic and unreliable short term and hard to get, hard from, to get, hard to get from time to time mm. as, as is philanthropy sometimes. Um, the fourth is where people start really bringing a strategic lens. So they start looking at their, their vision, their mission, their values. What, what does success mean for them? Um, and then the fifth is kind of like elevated philanthropy where they take everything from the fourth, um, their vision, their mission, their values, and then they start applying some kind of data to it. So like a data lens to it, or they might, um, look at collaborative funding. They, they might be approaching a, a huge issue like ending homelessness in Australia, for example, um, and go, well, that's a really big issue, big enough, big, too big for me to tackle by myself. Um, I need to get into, you know, a circle of, of funders to, to help, um, build a partnership around how we can how we can address this issue so so might they be interested in just say bringing together a few players mm. uh, from different parts of that uh, system mm. uh, to solve a problem yeah so i guess a lot of people um a lot of people look at sort of follow the tune of the bigger the problem the more partners they need around the table mm. both in terms of the doers i.e the for purpose organizations and also the funders because you need you need both around the table to to affect social change so to kind of come back to your original question it's a range of a range of things will um, drive someone to structured philanthropy whether that be um, as simple as a, a, a tax reason they might have um uh, brush had a brush with cancer or a brush with a health condition and you know they want to um, they, uh, support the organizations that gave them so much benefit um, there might be a culture of philanthropy that they've been raised with um, or they might just develop a passion for it as they mm. as they go on let me ask the taboo question uh, mm-hmm. now rather than later in the podcast but mm. is philanthropy exclusively for the wealthy I don't think so I think you, you can operate in philanthropy um, at any level, and you can also do it with your time. So philanthropy, um, uh, you know, really just means for, for love of humankind. Yep. Um, and so if you demonstrate that by volunteering at your local charity, well, then then that's that's fine. Traditionally, it is so associated with financial gifts. Yeah. Um, but, but of course, you don't have to be wealthy to give. No. Some of the no, that's right. bigger givers can be not necessarily those that are the most well-off, but just like that, yeah. on the other end of the spectrum, some of the biggest givers are also the quite well off yeah that's right i think you know you know the the gateses and the buffets and yes, all that kind of stuff you, gateses. you do you do uh, they obviously take up a lot of airtime in the kind of global philanthropy yep. landscape you know and, and they're, they're doing some fantastic work but um and and that's why philanthropy gets a a kind of um it is only for um you know and maybe that's why it's a bit uh, – there's a need to demystify it for sort of, yeah. you know, the, the masses out there. We, we want to know about it. We want yeah. to be involved in it. But m- perhaps the term maybe felt a bit reserved for uh, the 1%. That's right. Yeah. But I think, it, you know, um, 
in, in broad terms, you can be a monthly giver to your favorite charity and, and you can be a philanthropist. Um, if you want to structure your giving in, in terms of having a vehicle, then obviously um, there's a usually a, a, a financial um, bar that you need to, to meet in order to, to get into that. So, uh, But in terms of just the, being a philanthropist, I think anyone who's giving money or time can can meet that definition. You said something interesting in your scattergun um, definition. Uh-huh. You, you were asking about um, the giving to all different kinds of places, mm. um, maybe not considering whether it works. Mm. Uh, what does it works mean in the sort of context of uh, structured giving? So I think that's a really, um, it's a great question. I think it's a really personal question. So it'll be different from philanthropist to philanthropist. Um, so... Um, when when you're looking at a kind of a, a scattergun giver, um, they may not be connecting with um, their. They may not have established a purpose for their for their vehicle. Um, so if you think about a, a philanthropic vehicle as like a business, a business is set up to achieve something, um, and in the same way, a, a philanthropic trust um, often could be set up to achieve something like. Uh, eliminating homelessness in, in Australia or research into a particular disease or, or whatever. And so if um, if uh, that particular philanthropist with their structured vehicle is pressing in the same direction, like ending homelessness, um, then I think, you know, you're working towards year on year on year on year, you're working towards the same kind of mission, which means that you're going to um, start chipping away at the social problem. If you're scattergunning, you might be supporting um, – environmental one day, uh, environmental one year, medical research the next, and it's hard to affect that year-on-year social change um, that you're probably chasing. So I'm guessing that means that there's a strong focus, and I should ask it more as a question, is there a strong focus on um, purpose and alignment to values in how you advise clients? So again, if there's... I would always start anything I say with there's no right or wrong way to, to participate in philanthropy. If someone is really happy doing what they're doing, then far be it from me to say um, you're doing it wrong. But I, I really feel that a lot of people establish philanthropic trust, trust because they want to see some sort of change. And so in my mind, the way to do that is to determine what your family or personal values are and start aligning your giving. That's sort of that's sort of the center point of, sure. of how we advise clients. Is you know establish your personal values. So for example, mine are um, relationship. My top three values are relationships, uh, innovation, and compassion. We have two of the same three top uh, values. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's why we're mates. <laughs> um, and so anything that I donate to on a personal level yep. um, needs to sort of meet those my definition of those three, three things. Now, whether someone else, whether I classified a particular organisation as innovative or not, um, and, and whether that meets this, another person's definition of innovation doesn't really matter as long yep. as I def- define it as as innovative. And so, uh, kind of linking that back to success, once you've once you've defined your your values, your mission, and your vision. You can start selecting organisations that um, uh, might be pushing towards what your mission is. And so success might look like selecting organisations that are working towards your mission. And do do a lot of clients in your experience or players in the sector have realistic expectations of what success might look like? Because it's sort of, I'm sure, and as, as with the, you know, Gates, mm. he's in a position where he can say, I want to eradicate malaria mm. and actually do it. 
Yeah, that's right. So yeah, Gates is a Gates and and others that have signed the Giving Pledge yep. are in a fairly um, unique position where they um, they have real funds to uh, make a big dent in social problems. Um, so I think you know, like it's an easy example to talk to. Not an easy example. It's a, it's an example to talk to to say um, you know ending homelessness. So if for example my um, mission of my own personal philanthropy was to end homelessness but i found an organization that um uh like launch housing for example that um are providing um access to housing for uh disadvantaged people and i f- and i felt like the funds that whatever level i contributed funds towards uh, at if if they if that um affected some change uh, towards ending homelessness, I might categorize that as, as success. If um, that organization I viewed as in my, in my case as innovative and I had a relationship with them and yep. they were doing compassionate work. So do you, I mean, do you think a lot about effective altruism when you think about sort of the effectiveness of causes or, you know, what should I do? Is this, is this something that I should give my time or my money to? Are you kind of thinking in those lenses or you're more screening according to those three values you mentioned earlier? So I, I talked to my clients um about what other assets so they um have to give away l- legally speaking they have to give away um a certain amount of funds each year is that 5% or 5% for a PAF and yep. 4% for a sub fund yep. um and so they they legally have to give away some funds but then it's a conversation about okay you might have some other assets and that those other assets might be time they might be skills they might be um you know, unused commercial property um, that that would be that would meet the the charity's um, uh, strategic plan. You know, if they're looking to expand or whatever. So um, it's about unbundling the other assets that you have in your in, in that you might be prepared to do. Your network might be another asset. So um, there are many different ways to assist organizations uh, finances just being or financial just being one of them yep. um, and so I kind of talk to my talk to my clients around what 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 are they prepared to give in addition to funds yeah nice that's mm. interesting but you're a guy who thinks deeply about impact yes. and sort of both in your work and in you know your life mm. choices and also your where you're choosing to give mm. um, so, I mean, I found it really interesting your point before about it's not just about how you spend your money, mm. uh, it's how you spend your time, mm. it's who you talk to, mm. it's your networks, um, it's the thoughts that you co-create with others. Yep. Um, so, yourself, I mean, how, how like I, I feel that when we connected, you were on a journey to sort of Absolutely. discover yeah. you know, those networks and mm. are you finding that those those networks have evolved and expanded sort of as, as you've gone on? Yeah, and I think that the philanthropy and just the social purpose sector in general, you know, the, when you when you have a, a a license to go kind of any, I can I can go and speak with people in in environment and medical research and homelessness and all that kind of stuff, um, and you find out that there's so much that you don't know, <laughs> and so I'm I will be on a continued journey for 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 years to come in in terms of learning all about that as well as layering good giving into that as well. And you're a guy who loves learning. Mm. Uh, I think probably from childhood uh, all mm. the way through. So when you know you're often uh, you told me that often people say to you, "Will you have the best job ever?" Yeah, and and actually it happened again today uh, <laughs> where I went to a meeting with an organisation and. Um, and I think people just think that, uh, you know, as an advisor in, in philanthropy, you kind of just 
swan around and write checks to people. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought when you contacted me, right. but it did, didn't happen. But it, it, it actually, there's so much more thought that goes into it and, and, and also so much more um, from a, from when you obviously working for a trustee company, there's so much governance and compliance and um, prudent investment and, um, uh, you know, legal, legal things that we kind of look towards. Um, so there's a lot that we that we take a look at. Uh, take a look at. So this is an iceberg situation where we see the sort of the floating third on the top. Yeah, you see, and think Will's life is awesome. Yeah, but there is hard stuff too. I, I would say that um, I've never worked harder in my life. Um, I would say that I've never been as busy as busy. Um, but I would also say that I've never enjoyed any role as much as I enjoy this one. Well, I find you to be very present in all our interactions, and that's how mm. I know that you're enjoying yourself. Because <laughs> when we meet in a cafe or wherever we might be, um, you're all in, you're, you're looking sharp, you're in a suit, you've got you know the, the laptop, you've got the phone, you're, you're kind of raring to go, and you ask great questions and you're yeah. always in the moment. So yeah. I think you, know, you can always tell that someone's enjoying what they're doing if they mm. ask you really good questions. Yeah, that's it. And, and I think I get the, the um, opportunity to meet so many, you know, I meet probably three to five charities a week, I reckon. So when you sort of look at that, that's maybe like 150 a year. Um, what do you say to these? I mean, because it's, it's hard because you're meeting charities, they obviously want to be connected with your, your clients, your, mm-hmm. you know, your amazing uh, portfolio of clients, but you also probably want to give them realistic expectations about what they can expect and how philanthropy is yeah. trending. What, where is philanthropy trending at the moment? And maybe you might want to sort of frame it in a way, what can your average not-for-profit or if mm. there is such a thing mm. uh, be thinking about when they're trying to invite philanthropy into their shop, so to speak? That's a um, a pretty big question. Um, so I'm always very transparent, um, being formerly a charity employee and now um, crossing the funding fence, for lack of a better term. Oh, I like that um, one. We'll have to keep that one. <laughs> <laughs> it should really be more of a funding roundtable because yeah. it should be a, a yeah. collaborative effort. But in any event, um, uh, I'm always really transparent around Accessing funds from trusts and foundations is often a long burn. Trusts and foundations um, often have um, uh, agendas that they, uh, funding strategies that they that they um, uh, are looking toward. So they might be they might have picked a handful of organisations and they're funding them for three to five years, which means there's no opportunity to meet with new organisations for for that period of time. Um, and so. Um, uh, it's it's often a process of uh, building relationships. So I would say to any kind of um, to any average for purpose organisation, um, uh, come with a long term view, um, and and not only a long term view, but um, you can uh, in in the amount of all, um, people that I've met over the last sort of couple of years, you can pick the standout communicators. You can pick the 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 communicators that um, take a really complex issue package it up really simply um, and and deploy that message well and in a memorable way um, and so um, refining refining a refining a message come with a long-term view come with a kind of an idea a, 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 a problem to solve which everyone is is doing that's not new information but but how how the problem is going to be solved um, I also think that's that's also pretty compelling as well I like a couple of things in that I mean 
I think one thing that you said is what's different about you as well. So, mm. so how are you approaching this problem differently to other organisations? Yeah. And um, the other one being strong communication, mm. being essential. But maybe the last one that maybe is the most pertinent but the least obvious mm. is the relationship mindset. Yeah, that's, so, that's definitely right. And, and, and philanthropy can be really fickle as a funding, as a funding medium. And so I think what I've seen, um, it dawned on me when I was working uh, for the children's charity, but also um, even more so now, um, for organisations to have a really diverse revenue stream. So to to get funds from government if they can, if they if it suits them. Some some organisations that are critical of government can't be funded by government, but <laughs> if it's appropriate to appropriate appropriate and achievable to get funding from government, then then do so. Corporate regular givers, um, social enterprise, um, and trusts and foundations, philanthropy. Um, those are all really important ways of, um, of approaching your funding, your funding mix and, um, investment and, and endowment funds might be, uh, um, a role in that as well. Um, so, uh, but I have, I have, you know, uh, seen, um, organizations really, um, needing needing or wanting funds um, from trusts and foundations but it just haven't it hasn't eventuated for one reason or another so placing all your eggs in in one basket um, or, or or the trust and foundations basket is um, uh, probably not not advised I think philanthropy is great at um, it's often described it's not me saying this it's 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 a it's a well-known adage that it's often society's risk capital so in my mind, philanthropy is really great at getting a getting something up and running, um, and then um, uh, so for example, getting a, a, a social enterprise up and running, assisting it to a, to a point, and then getting it standing on its own two legs. Mm. That's really where I think philanthropy excels because it doesn't need um, it doesn't need um, permission from you know government or uh, voters or for anyone. It can just in general, it can go that initiative looks great. We're going to fund it, and we're going to get it to a certain point where it can stand on its own two legs. And maybe what is what do you think is the sort of appetite or the correct balance? Do you, do you think the community sector is too reliant on philanthropy? Do you think it could be more sort of out there in the right way? I think there are so many amazing organisations that are approaching their funding mix in a really innovative way, and they're looking to, um, you know, like I'm, I'm tonight wearing a um, an aim. Um, uh, the Indigenous Mentoring um, organization I'm wearing there. They have great tops. Great tops. I love this one that I'm wearing today. Um, and that I, you know, I once looked into their their finances um, and saw how much that was costing them, but also how much it was making them. And it seemed like, from just looking at their annual report, it seemed like a really sustainable um, initiative. So and it's branding as well. And like, it's branding. That's what you forget when you wear point. merch. It's like you talk about the merch and you're proud of it, yeah. especially in our space. I yeah. think I wear this yeah. as often as I can. Yeah, I only don't wear it when it's in the wash. Yeah, it's um, awesome. So, um, you know, there are so many amazing organisations looking at you know social impact bonds and and social enterprises and um, at, at all of the different ways to to um, um, to look at philanthropy. Uh, sorry to to look at funding their 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 organisation, philanthropy being just one of them. So I don't know if I don't know if I could say that um, organisations are too reliant on philanthropy in general. I think I've met organisations that are almost a hundred percent reliant on philanthropy, um, and that might suit them for for a time. I think it's just something that 
people have to ask themselves uh, for purpose organizations have to ask ask themselves are they is their revenue diversified enough when i was working for um the the children's charity we were very leveraged in in terms of philanthropy um and when the wa economy went down it was a real we 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 made budget um and we we achieved what we needed to do but it wasn't without some significant hard graft. So you put yourself in a difficult spot whenever you rely too much, and that, that can be the case for government contracts too. That's right. It can be the case for fundraising. Absolutely. Um, but I think diversity of revenue is a, is a really prescient theme for the mm, sector. Absolutely. And I think yeah. it, it, people aren't, um, um, you know, blind to that. They, 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 they know that um, they, everyone I speak to knows that, that, that they, they've got to be sustainable with how they're funding themselves. But um, sometimes um, government funding is an option. Sometimes um, starting a social enterprise isn't an option and not everyone, it's not appropriate for everyone. So, mm. What do you talk to your colleagues about in terms of philanthropy and where it's at and I suppose that journey to good philanthropy? Mm. There are a lot of, um, I just imagine that there's conferences and stuff and that's, you know, the, despite you being in equity with, mm. with your team, you mm. speak to the other officers. Um, is there kind of like, some emergent themes from those discussions? So I am lucky enough to be surrounded by a team uh, or to work with a team that is incredible. Um, and the team at Equity Trustees is... Um, it's like an all-star team. It's amazing. Like we've got um, people that have ex-SVA, ex-NAB um, Foundation, um, ex-youth um, charities, um, but then also... Um, uh, a significant wealth of knowledge in uh, the trustee space as and trustee and, and um, financial advice space. So we've got a really cr- great cross section of um, skill sets. And so in terms of the discussions that we have um, kind of just geek out on cool projects, really <laughs> um, as uh, you know, we, we sort of talk about um, uh, some, we're all often meeting people. The recent, um, Annual giving review that we that we released in March, so it's it's, it's semi recent that we released, um, uh, was our kind of step toward um, being um, transparent. Not that we weren't trying to be transparent, but being transparent with the sector around how we go about funding um, things that we are funding, uh, trusts that we um, are responsible for um, and assist with, but then also everyone that works in the team and everyone's contact details. So I think the team is is um, pretty engaged with meeting with the sector, which means that we are um, we're a, a, we we all kind of come back to the office with oh I just met this great organisation oh yeah I met that great organisation so you're and, not encouraging people to not contact you or to hide behind the brand absolutely it yeah. it, it but it doesn't mean that funding will be achieved you no. know there's no guarantees no that's right and and I think what I have learned particularly when I was a fundraiser is that you know I kind of thought every every potential funder is for me as in every potential funder is 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 going to love what, what we do. I'm so passionate about it and, and they're going to love what we do. Just give me half an hour with them. And yep. if they're into another social cause, well, I'll convert them. And I, and I just, <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't think that, that, that is, um, that that is, uh, uh, kind of realistic, I suppose. Yep. But I think a lot of people, when they think about philanthropy, they just think, um, our shit is the bomb. Yeah. And no matter who comes in, they're mm-hmm. going to buy it. Mm-hmm. And they have this really unrealistic perspective that 
each of these opportunities, it's going to be a person who comes in with a million dollar check that's just mm. been minted, and mm. it's just going to be like, yeah, this is this, you've got it here. Yeah. And I guess I'll come back to the it's it's in in the trust and foundations world. Um, it's often a long burn. It's often a, it's often a process of building relationships. So, uh, to come back to your point, no, uh, to your question, we're absolutely keen to to meet with the sector and, and keen to learn more about what each organisation is doing if we haven't met with them already. Um, but it doesn't mean that everyone's going to walk away with 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 a check for sure. Because but, it's but transparency more, has to be the start. And that's right. You highlighted that, you know, what you were saying that. Um, Maybe what you were trying to maybe part of what you're saying is that transparency is a key trend in philanthropy. Um, it's a key trend in how where how equity trustees is is um, forging an, a path its path in in philanthropy. And I think for me, it's about finding the right sort of philanthropist and or trust for the right sort of organisation and, and bringing those two together. And that won't happen every time because there are you know fifty thousand DGR organisations and only a, and, and comparatively a small handful of, of philanthropic trusts. Your team could meet all of them by the end of the year, no? Yeah, give us a month, I suppose. We'll get, we'll get out there and, <laughs> and meet them all. Um, but so the the it's about finding the right sort of trust and the and or the right sort of philanthropist that aligns with what that particular organization is doing and vice versa. And do you have organizations that you look up to that are not just in the charity space, but in the sort of trust and wealth management space that you just sort of think, you know, overseas or locally, you think like, oh, they're, they're great or how they're approaching it's quite interesting? I think, um, I mean, there are so, so many amazing US, uh, you know, uh, Ford Foundation, Rockefeller Foundation, all of those sorts of um, organizations are doing fantastic work. Um, there are some Pretty large um, organizations like Fidelity Charitable. Fidelity is um, a large investments company, um, and I forget the numbers, but it's something like trillions of dollars that they've got um, at their fingertips, and they have, they have an offshoot, which is Fidelity Charitable. And I think that they're fairly interesting to watch at their scale. But I guess it's um, not speaking directly to Fidelity, but it's not just scale that is impressive. It's what you do with the funds. Mm. Um, so there are, there are organizations that we, that we, um, that I look to, uh, around, around the world and, um, and appreciate the way that they're funding mm. and, or how, how massive they are. Um, and there are certainly funders in, in, and, and, and I guess I, I, I'm a little bit biased. There's a lot of my clients, I suppose, that I appreciate in terms of how they're going about their funding, um, and how they're approaching organizations that they're passionate about you must just absolutely crush out on a lot of your clients and think just you are amazing absolutely like i mean um there was a client that i said in in the first few meetings that i first few initial meetings that i i took i sat down with um one of my clients and just thought because you know when you're positioned as an advisor you're kind of supposed to be advising people yeah yeah <laughs> and i sat down with this with this couple and i was i was thinking you know i'm just gonna have to spend a good few years just listening to mm. you guys mm. because um i don't have anything to they're, they're, they're probably like i imagine <laughs> that a lot of your clients are just hugely successful so it's kind of like it must be hard yeah you know? I mean, people come into funds and i think it's also really interesting it's been really interesting to watch um uh just watch and observe higher net wealth and um and also um, how that translates into philanthropy. People come into money in, in a lot of different ways. It might be through an inheritance. It might be um, it might be um, 
uh, you know, intergenerational wealth, or it might be just rolling up their sleeves and, and they've, they've hit the hard yards for um, a number of decades in order to get where they are. Um, so people come to, to money in a, in a lot of different ways, and that doesn't necessarily shape how they interact with philanthropy. I, I haven't seen a kind of lineage between sure. if you um, are self-made, then you act this certain way. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but, um, it, yeah, it's certainly interesting to, to kind of watch. Stepping away for, for, from philanthropy for a little bit, mm. let's talk about you. Mm-hmm. Um, you have probably changed a lot how you manage yourself and not, mm. probably I imagine your work is so busy in equity that you do mm. prioritise health and wellness and mm. sort of your own lifestyle and practices. Mm. Talk me through some of those things that you do and um, your routine a little bit and some yeah. of the life choices you might have made. So I think as I, as I kind of touched on, this role has is the, is the busiest role that I have had and I think I w- fell into a trap of – um, getting through my day with a whole bunch of coffees and then getting to the end of that day and going, oh, that was a big day. I better have a couple of glasses of wine to, you know, unwind oh, and, yeah. and relax. Because um, you, you would have been like just having to smash those coffees as part of all these meetings. All the meetings, yeah. yeah. Um, and just, you can't not have a coffee in Melbourne. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and also the pace, yep. the, like just the pace. And, um, and that was, um, you know, how, how I got through. But then I stopped sleeping. Um, and that was, that was fine for a little while because I just drank more coffee. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but eventually that wore thin. And so I had to, um, take it in a fairly drastic, uh, uh, sort of life regime, which has probably been going about six months now where, um, I don't drink any coffee except for decaf. Um, I don't drink alcohol at all. Um, at the moment. <laughs> um, and I exercise and I, I meditate and um, I make sure that I prioritize those things. I always say that you are the closest thing to like a levitating Buddhist statue that I've ever seen. <laughs> like, you know, this saintly guy comes well, in and you didn't need to provide me with a chair. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Is this so uh, just <laughs> the healthiness is like overwhelming. It's like, it's like everything you hear in podcasts that you commit to, the fact that you're going to do it and yeah. you never do it and then you're doing all of it. I think what I <clears throat> still kind of chuckle to myself about is when you said to me, it's like you read a life hack blog and did everything <laughs> on that <laughs> And That joke was better. I and, think I butchered it. <laughs> and you know what? Um, uh, I think, I, I guess I did. I guess <laughs> I guess I did. But yeah. That's why I'm always fascinated to ask mm. you, like, how are you feeling and like. Um, yeah. So I, I think it good. It, for me, it starts with good sleep. Um, and I wasn't getting good sleep when I was charging the coffees, trying to unwind with a glass of wine, um, watching a whole bunch of TV. Um, and so now we've, we've moved our TV to the basement. Um, I read a whole bunch. Um, I, I tend to read at, at nighttime. I tend to read a lot of like what I classify as dumb crime, um, so just cheesy crime novels. Um, <clears throat> and then I save my more learned reading for, you know, my commutes. Um, and all of that has equaled a, a lot more of a, um, a life balance that, um, is, a, is enabling me to be a lot more, um, active at work. Um, so you don't look it, tired at all, by the way. No. And I feel great. You know, I had nine you hours look sleep. full of time. energy. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, stop, stop. So, Too much. 
it, it, um, yeah, it, it was really, it was a really eye-opening um, experience to go through. I mean, it wasn't one particular moment, but to get to the end of a couple of a couple of months of you know pretty pretty crappy sleep. Um, and what about the meditation? And the meditation is something that wasn't necessarily new to me, but doing it almost religiously or, you know, doing it, making sure I'm doing it kind of every, every night. Um, just, it has really increased my kind of work gains at, um, in the workplace setting. Um, I'm much more effective with my time at work. Um, and I think it's also fed into mental health as well. So I think, you know, I've, you, you, you through, um, dealing with, you know, charities, but also through dealing with your social network. We talk so much about, um, you know, mental health. And, um, I think it's, it's, it's something that will, will probably touch everyone at some point in their life. So true. And I think that's probably why I make a point of, um, raising it in every episode because I'm interested in what people who are, you know, achieving at a high level mm. are doing and mm. sort of how they're, how they're coming to that and, you know, how it's uh, yeah. influencing them. Because I think it's a, it's a good reminder for me but also our listeners um, yeah. at every stage that, you know, um, you can't do anything if you can't manage yourself. That's right. I think so addressing your physical fitness, addressing your mental fitness, um, and then for me, um, my sleep was was shocking, and so basically, I was just stripped out all of the stimulants, which was coffee, TV, alcohol, mm. um, and that has led to really um, positive gains for me. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. Um, what, what are you eating at the moment? Well, I guess the other part to that is I'm uh, have been vegan for sixteen years or so. God, um, there's more to the health stuff. Yeah, We're still going on that. That's, yeah. Okay, keep going. <laughs> but recently, I, pr- I probably classify myself as part-time gluten-free. Um, yep. And as I'm saying all this, I'm uh, super aware how kind of peak hipster Melbourne I sound. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, uh, there was no doubt the way you walked in the door that you were, in fact, peak hipster Melbourne. So it's, yeah. we're already past yeah, that. Yeah, that's, that's all right. right. Um, and so what am I eating at the moment? Um low processed foods um low or no sugar um obviously vegan and mostly gluten-free yep awesome now is the part in the podcast where i'm going to ask you to dob in uh anyone that you think should come on the podcast either from your sector or more generally so i think there are a number of people that i've met with i already stole steven spur from you yes that was your recommendation he's been on the pod and he's, a, he's a lovely guy and, champ and absolutely um, a, a weapon in his field. Um, when I was sort of talking about um, the the number of people that I've met with that can kind of package up a really clear message, um, some of those people for me um, have included uh, uh, Thomas from uh, Food Frontier. Um, was that Thomas King? Yes. Uh uh, Hunter from the Man Cave you've already had on, um, Marcus from Fair Share, um, Lyndon is a great guy from an organisation oh, called Eat Up. Love that guy. He's he's coming back. He's in the States at the moment Yeah, and right. he's coming on when he comes back. Um, I think um, I haven't met personally but Professor Pat McGuire from – Yeah, that would um, be awesome. Like, I mean – He's talk about like a, a patriarch of the, of the field. Just amazing. Yeah. Uh, 
Joe Gleason from World Vision mm-hmm. um, does uh, some, Jane, the CEO of Children's Ground, yep. uh, both a, an amazing speaker and, and an amazing. So um, there are there. I mean, the, the as I said, one of the benefits of of my role is being able to meet so many fantastic people. Mm. And I mean, I've how long how long of a list do you want? Because I can- <laughs> no, that's pretty good. Maybe I'll just end by asking you if you have any networking tips for people because I think. Um, networking is something that a lot of people struggle with and they think mm. of it as a kind of that awkward thing where you're at a cocktail party and it's just going up to people and like trying to muscle in on them. Yeah. I reckon you've got great people skills, but particularly good network building skills. Mm. Um, you, you kind of, you're very genuine, you're very authentic. Do you have any kind of tips or advice on how to do that? So, so absolutely being genuine and authentic. Um, um, that was a real lesson getting into this role is that I'm, um, um, just try and be as, as genuine and, and, and authentic as, as possible. And that tends to build really strong relationships in terms of um, networking. It's a really, it's, it's a learned skill, I think. Um, um, and, you know, reaching out to someone on LinkedIn as I did with you um, for just a, for, for a coffee and a catch up and a, can I find out more about you just mm. because you sound like you've got interesting things to say. Mm. Um, well, that, you're, you're wrong about that, but uh, <laughs> it was nice meeting no, you. That's, <laughs> Far from true. Um, uh, so uh, yeah, not being not being afraid to kind of take the leap, and and in the digital world that we live in, just you can you can do that as simply as you know getting on LinkedIn and saying, hey, can can we get get a coffee? Um, and then in 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 the the real world, in the if you are at, as you said at a networking event, having a few key questions to walk up. Uh, to someone and say like I, I now find myself at a lot of charity events and so I you know walk up to people and, and just open with you know say how are you connected to this organization that we're at and just having that little kind of icebreaker and just that f- and the conversation flows from there but that little just that little first icebreaker can be like the hardest part so whether you're contacting yeah. people in the digital space or the, the real world just mm. it, it, you get better with with practice and don't just go up to people and say what do you do <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, I found myself doing that the other day and I thought, oh, that is so bored. Even I'm bored and I'm the one asking the question. I'm bored before I've heard the answer. That's a terrible way to approach people. Yeah, I heard a podcast once and the, the guy said, uh, his advice was, don't ask people what you do, just go up and say, what are you passionate about? Yeah. And I, I found that quite wanky but also quite magical. It's different. Yeah. It's different. It's different. At least it's different, yeah. you know. Uh, it's not boring. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Love it. So, um, Will, amazing conversation. Um, I might end by asking, how can people learn more about you and connect with you and learn, learn more about your terrific work that you're doing? Um, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So, Will Beresford on LinkedIn. But also, I'd encourage people to have a look at um, Equity Trustees' website um, and the recent um, annual giving review that we have released. It's on the philanthropy tab in the in the. Uh, equity trustees website and that'll be updated in the coming year um so yeah awesome and i think um my advice is definitely do reach out and um send will like a a really nice authentic inbox Mm. he'll he'll enjoy that i will absolutely (laughs) but but don't offer coffee suggest a herbal tea yeah that's right decaf (laughs) yeah otherwise you'll know you have to listen to the episode (laughs) great chatting with you mate yeah thanks mike If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you hit the subscribe button in your podcast player. Why not share the podcast with a friend? 
you could also leave us a five-star review in your podcast player. You may also want to join us for one of our regular live podcasts or to become a show sponsor. Learn more at humansofpurpose.com.au and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook.